So we begin week 50. Only these three weeks to go, at day 344, and we continue through Acts, beginning today at chapter 21, verse 27, through to chapter 23, verse 35. As the seven days were about to end, the Jews from the province of Asia saw him in the temple complex, stirred up the whole crowd and seized him, shouting, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who teaches everyone everywhere against our people, our law, and this place. What's more, he also brought Greeks into the temple and has profaned this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus the Ephesian in the city with him, and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple complex. The whole city was stirred up and the people rushed together. They seized Paul, dragged him out of the temple complex, and at once the gates were shut. As they were trying to kill him, word went up to the commander of the regiment that all Jerusalem was in chaos. Taking along soldiers and centurions, he immediately ran down to them. Seeing the commander and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Then the commander came up, took him into custody, and ordered him to be bound with two chains. He asked who he was and what he had done. Some in the mob were shouting one thing and some another. Since he was not able to get reliable information because of the uproar, he ordered him to be taken into the barracks. When Paul got to the steps, he had to be carried by the soldiers because of the mob's violence, for the mass of people were following and yelling, Kill him! As he was about to be brought into the barracks, Paul said to the commander, Am I allowed to say something to you? He replied, Do you know Greek? Aren't you the Egyptian who raised a rebellion some time ago and led 4,000 assassins into the desert? Paul said, I'm a Jewish man from Tarsus of Sicily, a citizen of an important city. Now I ask you, let me speak to the people. After he had given permission, Paul stood on the steps and motioned with his hand to the people. When there was a great hush, he addressed them in the Hebrew language. Brothers and fathers, listen now to my defence before you. When they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even quieter. He continued, I am a Jewish man, born in Tarsus of Sicily, and brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel and educated according to the strict view of our patriarchal laws. Being zealous for God, as all of you are today, I persecuted this way to the death, binding and putting both men and women in jail, as both the high priest and the whole council of elders can testify about me. Having received letters from them to the brothers, I was travelling to Damascus to bring those who were prisoners there to be punished in Jerusalem. As I was travelling and near Damascus, about noon an intense light from heaven suddenly flashed around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I answered, Who are you, Lord? He said to me, I am Jesus the Nazarene whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but they did not hear the voice of the one who was speaking to me. Then I said, What should I do, Lord? And the Lord told me, Get up and go into Damascus, and there you will be told about everything that is assigned for you to do. Since I couldn't see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. Someone named Ananias, a devout man according to the law, having a good reputation with all the Jews residing there, came to me, stood by me, and said, Brother Saul, regain your sight. And in that very hour I looked up and saw him. Then he said, the God of our fathers has appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one and to hear the sound of his voice, for you will be a witness for him to all the people of what you have seen and heard. 
And now why delay? Get up and be baptized and wash away your sins by calling on his name. After I came back to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple complex, I went into a visionary state and saw him telling me, Hurry and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. But I said, Lord, they know that in synagogue after synagogue I had those who believed in you imprisoned and beaten. And when the blood of your witness Stephen was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving, and I guarded the clothes of those who killed him. Then he said to me, Go, because I will send you far away to the Gentiles. They listened to him up to this word. Then they raised their voices, shouting, Wipe this person off the earth. It's a disgrace for him to live. As they were yelling and flinging aside their robes and throwing dust into the air, the commander ordered him to be brought into the barracks, directing that he be examined with a scourge, so he would discover the reason they were shouting against him like this. As they stretched him out for the lash, Paul said to the centurion standing by, Is it legal for you to scourge a man who is a Roman citizen and is uncondemned? When the centurion heard this, he went and reported to the commander, saying, What are you going to do for this man as a Roman citizen? The commander came and said to him, Tell me, are you a Roman citizen? Yes, he said. The commander replied, I bought this citizenship for a large amount of money. But I myself was born a citizen, Paul said. Therefore those who were about to examine him withdrew from him at once. The commander too was alarmed when he realised Paul was a Roman citizen and he had bound him. The next day, since he wanted to find out exactly why Paul was being accused by the Jews, he released him and instructed the chief priests and all the Sanhedrin to convene. Then he brought Paul down and placed him before them. Paul looked intently at the Sanhedrin and said, Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience until this day. But the high priest Ananias ordered those who were standing next to him to strike him in the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. You are sitting there judging me according to the law, and in violation of the law you are ordering me to be struck. And those standing nearby said, Do you dare revile God's high priest? I did not know, brothers, Paul said, that it was the high priest, for it is written, You must not speak evil of a ruler of your people. When Paul realized that one part of them were Sadducees and the other were Pharisees, he cried out in the Sanhedrin, Brothers, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. I am being judged because of the hope of the resurrection of the dead. When he said this, a dispute broke out between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees say there is no resurrection and no angel or spirit, but the Pharisees affirm them all. The shouting grew loud, and some of the scribes of the Pharisees' party got up and argued vehemently, We find nothing evil in this man. What if a spirit or an angel had spoken to him? When the dispute became violent, the commander feared that Paul might be torn apart by them and ordered the troops to go down, rescue him from them and bring him into the barracks. The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Have courage, for as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, you must also testify in Rome. When it was day, the Jews formed a conspiracy and bound themselves under a curse, neither to eat nor to drink until they had killed Paul. There were more than forty of them who had formed this plot. These men went to the chief priests and elders and said, We have bound ourselves under a solemn curse that we won't eat anything until we have killed Paul. So now you, along with the Sanhedrin, make a request to the commander that he bring him down to you, as if you were going to investigate his case more thoroughly.
However, before he gets near, we are ready to kill him. But the son of Paul's sister, hearing about their ambush, came and entered the barracks and reported it to Paul. Then Paul called one of the centurions and said, Take this young man to the commander because he has something to report to him. So he took him, brought him to the commander and said, The prisoner Paul called me and asked me to bring this young man to you because he has something to tell you. Then the commander took him by the hand, led him aside and inquired privately, What is it you have to report to me? The Jews, he said, have agreed to ask you to bring Paul down to the Sanhedrin tomorrow, as though they are going to hold a a somewhat more careful inquiry about him. Don't let them persuade you, because there are more than forty of them arranging to ambush him, men who have bound themselves under a curse not to eat or drink until they kill him. Now they are ready, waiting for a commitment from you. So the commander dismissed the young man and instructed him, Don't tell anyone that you have informed me about this. He summoned two of his centurions and said, Get two hundred soldiers ready with seventy cavalry and two hundred spearmen to go to Caesarea at nine tonight. Also provide mounts so they can put Paul on them and bring him safely to Felix the governor. He wrote a letter of this kind, Claudius Lysias, to the most excellent governor Felix. Greetings. When this man had been seized by the Jews and was about to be killed by them, I arrived with my troops and rescued him because I learned that he is a Roman citizen. Wanting to know the charge for which they were accusing him, I brought him down before their Sanhedrin. I found out that the accusations were about disputed matters in their law, and that there was no charge that merited death or chains. When I was informed that there was a plot against the man, I sent him to you right away. I also ordered his accusers to state their case against him in your presence. Therefore, during the night, the soldiers took Paul and brought him to Antipatris as they were ordered. The next day they returned to the barracks, allowing the cavalry to go on with him. When these men entered Caesarea and delivered the letter to the governor, they also presented Paul to him. After he read it, he asked what province he was from. So when he learned he was from Cilicia, he said, I will give you a hearing whenever your accusers get here too. And he ordered that he be kept under guard in Herod's palace. And there we end, day 344. Day 345, and we continue following Paul through Acts, reading from chapter 24, verse 1, through to chapter 26, verse 32. After five days, Ananias, the high priest, came down with some elders and a lawyer named Tertullius. These men presented their case against Paul to the governor. When he was called in, Tertullius began to accuse him and said, Since we enjoy great peace because of you, and reforms are taking place for the benefit of this nation by your foresight, We gratefully receive them always and in all places, most excellent Felix, with all thankfulness. However, so that I will not burden you any further, I beg you in your graciousness to give us a brief hearing, for we have found this man to be a plague, an agitator among all the Jews throughout the Roman world, and a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. He even tried to desecrate the temple, so we apprehended him, and wanted to judge him according to our law. But Lysias, the commander, came and took him from our hands, commanding his accusers to come to you. By examining him yourself, you will be able to discern all these things of which we accuse him. The Jews also joined in the attack, alleging that these things were so. When the governor motioned to him to speak, Paul replied, Because I know you have been a judge of this nation for many years, I am glad to offer my defence in what concerns me. You are able to determine that it is no more than twelve days since I went up to worship in Jerusalem. 
and they didn't find me disputing with anyone or causing a disturbance among the crowd, either in the temple complex or in the synagogues, or anywhere in the city. Neither can they provide evidence to you of what they now bring against me. But I confess this to you, that according to the way which they call a sect, so I worship my father's God, believing all the things that are written in the law and in the prophets. And I have a hope in God, which these men themselves also accept, that there is going to be a resurrection, both of the righteous and the unrighteous. I always do my best to have a clear conscience toward God and men. After many years I came to bring charitable gifts and offerings to my nation, and while I was doing this some Jews from the province of Asia found me ritually purified in the temple, without a crowd and without any uproar. It is they who ought to be here before you to bring charges, if they have anything against me. Either let these men here state what wrongdoing they have found in me when I stood before the Hans Sanhedrin, or about this one statement, I cried out while standing among them, Today I am being judged before you concerning the resurrection of the dead. Since Felix was accurately informed about the way, he adjourned the hearing, saying, When Lysias the commander comes down, I will decide your case. He ordered that the centurion keep Paul under guard, though he could have some freedom, and that he should not prevent any of his friends from serving him. After some days when Felix came with his wife Drusilla, who was Jewish, he sent for Paul and listened to him on the subject of faith in Jesus Christ. Now as he spoke about righteousness, self-control and the judgment to come, Felix became afraid and replied, Leave for now, but when I find time I'll call for you. At the same time he was also hoping that money would be given to him by Paul. For this reason he sent for him quite often and conversed with him. After two years had passed, Felix received a successor, Portius Festus, and because he wished to do a favour for the Jews, Felix left Paul in prison. Three days after Festus arrived in the province, he went up to Jerusalem from Caesarea. Then the chief priests and the leaders of the Jews presented their case against Paul to him, and they appealed, asking him to do them a favour against Paul, that he might summon him to Jerusalem. They were preparing an ambush along the road to kill him, However, Festus answered that Paul should be kept at Caesarea, and that he himself was about to go there shortly. Therefore he said, Let the men of authority among you go down with me and accuse him, if there is any wrong in this man. When he had spent not more than eight or ten days among them, he went down to Caesarea. The next day, seated at the judge's bench, he commanded Paul to be brought in. When he arrived, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him and brought many serious charges, that they were not able to prove, while Paul made the defence that, neither against the Jewish law, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar have I sinned at all. Then Festus, wanting to do a favour for the Jews, replied to Paul, Are you willing to go up to Jerusalem, there to be tried before me on these charges? But Paul said, I am standing at Caesar's tribunal where I ought to be tried. I have done no wrong to the Jews, as even you can see very well. If then I am doing wrong or have done anything deserving of death, I do not refuse to die. But if there is something to what these men accuse me of, no one can give me up to them. I appeal to Caesar. After Festus conferred with his counsel, he replied, You have appealed to Caesar. To Caesar you will go. After some days had passed, King Agrippa and Bernice arrived in Caesarea and paid a courtesy call on Festus. Since they stayed there many days, Festus presented Paul's case to the king, saying, There's a man who was left as a prisoner by Felix. When I was in Jerusalem, the chief priests and elders of the Jews presented their case and asked for a judgment against him. 
I answered them that it's not the Romans' custom to give any man up before the accused confronts the accusers face to face, and has an opportunity to give a defence concerning the charge. Therefore, when they had assembled here, I did not delay. The next day I sat at the judge's bench and ordered the man to be brought in. Concerning him, the accusers stood up and brought no charge of the sort I was expecting. Instead, they had some disagreements with him about their own religion, and about a certain Jesus, a dead man whom Paul claimed to be alive. Since I was at a loss in a dispute over such things, I asked him if he wished to go to Jerusalem and to be tried there concerning these matters. But when Paul appealed to be held for trial by the emperor, I ordered him to be kept in custody until I could send him to Caesar. Then Agrippa said to Festus, I would like to hear the man myself. Tomorrow, he said, you will hear him. So the next day Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp and entered the auditorium with the commanders and prominent men of the city. When Festus gave the command, Paul was brought in. Then Festus said, King Agrippa and all men present with us, you see this man about whom the whole Jewish community has appealed to me, both in Jerusalem and here, shouting that he should not live any longer. Now I realised that he had not done anything deserving of death, but when he himself appealed to the emperor, I decided to send him. I have nothing definite to write to the emperor about him, therefore I have brought him before all of you, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that after this examination is over, I may have something to write. For it seems unreasonable to me to send a prisoner and not to indicate the charges against him. Agrippa said to Paul, It is permitted for you to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand and began his defence. I consider myself fortunate, King Agrippa, that today I am going to make a defence before you about everything I am accused of by the Jews, especially since you are an expert in all the Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore I beg you to listen to me patiently. All the Jews know my way of life from my youth, which was spent from the beginning among my own nation in Jerusalem. They had previously known me for quite some time, if they were willing to testify that according to the strictest party of our religion, I lived as a Pharisee. And now I stand on trial for the hope of the promise made by God to our fathers, the promise our twelve tribes hope to attain as they earnestly serve him night and day. Because of this hope I am being accused by the Jews, O King. Why is it considered incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? In fact, I myself supposed it was necessary to do many things in opposition to the name of Jesus the Nazarene. This I actually did in Jerusalem, and I locked up many of the saints in prison, since I had received authority for that from the chief priests. When they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. In all the synagogues, I often tried to make them blaspheme by punishing them. Being greatly enraged at them, I even pursued them to foreign cities. Under these circumstances, I was travelling to Damascus with authority and a commission from the chief priests. At midday, while on the road, O king, I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun, shining around me and those travelling with me. When we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me in the Hebrew language. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. But I said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord replied, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But get up and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose to appoint you as a servant and a witness of things you have seen and of things in which I will appear to you. I will rescue you from the people and from the Gentiles to whom I now send you, 
to open their eyes that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they might receive forgiveness of sins and a share among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to this heavenly vision. Instead, I preached to those in Damascus first, and to those in Jerusalem and in all the region of Judea, and to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, and do works worthy of repentance. For this reason the Jews seized me in the temple complex and were trying to kill me. Since I have obtained help that comes from God, to this day I stand and testify to both small and great, saying, Nothing else than what the prophets and Moses said would take place, that the Messiah must suffer, and that as the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light to our people and to the Gentiles. As he was making his defence this way, Festus exclaimed in a loud voice, You're out of your mind, Paul. Too much study is driving you mad. But Paul replied, I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus. On the contrary, I'm speaking words of truth and good judgment, for the king knows about these matters. It is to him I am actually speaking boldly, for I'm not convinced that any of these things escapes his notice, since this was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you believe. Then Agrippa said to Paul, Are you going to persuade me to become a Christian so easily? I wish before God, replied Paul, that whether easily or with difficulty, not only you but all who listen to me today might become as I am, except for these chains. So the king, the governor, Bernice and those sitting with them got up, and when they had left they talked with each other and said, This man is doing nothing that deserves death or chains. Then Agrippa said to Festus, This man could have been released if he had not appealed to Caesar. And there we end, day 345. Day 346, we continue and finish Acts today uh, before going on to Philemon. And so we begin at Acts chapter 27, verse 1. When it was decided that we were to set seal to Italy, they handed over Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion named Julius of the Imperial Regiment. So when we had boarded a ship of Adramatim, we put to sea, intending to sail to ports along the coast of the province of Asia. Aristocrus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica, was with us. The next day we put in at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and allowed him to go to his friends to receive their care. When we had put out to sea from there, we sailed along the northern coast of Cyprus because the winds were against us. After sailing through the open sea of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we reached Myra in Lycia. There the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing for Italy and put us on board. Sailing slowly for many days, we became with difficulty as far as Snindus, but since the wind did not allow us to approach it, we sailed along the south side of Crete off Salome. With yet more difficulty, we sailed along the coast and came to a place called Fair Havens, near the city of Lassia. By now much time had passed, and the voyage was already dangerous. Since the fast was already over, Paul gave his advice and told him, Men, I can see that this voyage is hedged toward damage and heavy loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion paid attention to the captain and the owner of the ship rather than to what Paul said. Since the harbour was unsuitable to winter in, the majority decided to set sail from there, hoping somehow to reach Phoenix, a harbour on Crete open to the southwest and northwest, and to winter there. 
When a gentle south wind sprang up, they thought they had achieved their purpose. They weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. But not long afterwards a fierce wind called the Northeaster rushed down from the island. Since the ship was caught and was unable to head into the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. After running under the shelter of a little island called Cauda, we were barely able to get control of the skiff. After hoisting it up, they used ropes and tackle and girded the ship. Then, fearing they would run aground in the Sirtis, they lowered the drift anchor and in this way were driven along. Because we were being severely battered by the storm, they began to jettison the cargo the next day. On the third day they threw the ship's gear overboard with their own hands. For many days neither sun nor stars appeared, and the severe storm kept raging. Finally all hope that we would be saved was disappearing. Since many were going without food, Paul stood up among them and said, You men should have followed my advice not to sail from Crete and sustain this damage and loss. Now I urge you to take courage, because there will be no loss of any of your lives but only of the ship. For this night an angel of the God I belong to and serve stood by me, saying, Don't be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar, and look, God has graciously given you all those who are sailing with you. Therefore take courage, men, because I believe, God, that it will be just the way it was told to me. However, we must run aground on a certain island. When the fourteenth night came, we were drifting in the Adriatic Sea, and in the middle of the night the sailors thought that they were approaching land. They took a sounding and found it to be a hundred and twenty feet deep. When they had sailed a little farther and sounded again, they found it to be ninety feet deep. Then, fearing we might run aground in some rocky place, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight to come. Some sailors tried to escape from the ship. They had let down the skiff into the sea, pretending that they were going to put out anchors from the bow. Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, Unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut the ropes holding the skiff and let it drop away. When it was just about daylight, Paul urged them all to take food, saying, Today is the fourteenth day that you have been waiting and going without food, having eaten nothing. Therefore I urge you to take some food. For this has to do with your survival, since not a hair will be lost from the head of any of you. After he said these things and had taken some bread, he gave thanks to God in the presence of all of them, and when he had broken it he began to eat. They all became encouraged and took food themselves. In all there were 276 of us on the ship. And having eaten enough food, they began to lighten the ship by throwing the grain overboard into the sea. When daylight came, they did not recognise the land, but sighted a bay with a beach. They planned to run the ship ashore if they could. After casting off the anchors, they left them in the sea, at the same time loosening the ropes that held the rudders. Then they hoisted the foresail to the wind and headed for the beach. But they struck a sandbar and ran the ship aground. The boy jammed fast and remained immovable, but the stern began to break up with the pounding of the waves. The soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners so that no one could swim off and escape, but the centurion kept them from carrying out their plan because he wanted to save Paul. So he ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to land. The rest were to follow someone planks and someone debris from the ship. In this way, all got safely to land. Safely ashore, we then learned that the island was called Malta. The local people showed us extraordinary kindness, for they lit a fire and took us all in since rain was falling and it was cold. As Paul gathered a bundle of brushwood and put it on the fire, 
a viper came out because of the heat and fastened itself to his hand. When the local people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, This man is probably a murderer, and though he has escaped the sea, justice does not allow him to live. However, he shook the creature off into the fire and suffered no harm. They expected that he would swell up or suddenly drop dead, but after they waited a long time and saw nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said he was a god. Now in the area around that place was an estate belonging to the leading man of the island called Publius, who welcomed us and entertained us hospitably for three days. It happened that Publius's father was in bed suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went to him, and praying and laying his hands on him, he healed him. After this the rest of those in the island who had diseases also came and were cured. So they heaped many honours on us, and when we sailed they gave us what we needed. After three months we set sail in an Alexandrian ship that had wintered at the island, with the twin brothers as its figurehead. Putting in at Cyrusus, we stayed three days. From there, after making a circuit along the coast, we reached Regium. After one day a south wind sprang up, and the second day we came to Putlio. There we found believers and were invited to stay with them for seven days. And so we came to Rome. Now the believers from there had heard the news about us, and had come to meet us as far as the Forum of Appius and the Three Taverns. When Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. And when we entered Rome, Paul was permitted to stay by himself with a soldier who guarded him. And then we read the book of Philemon to finish today. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. To Philemon, our dear friend and co-worker, to Aphia, our sister, to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God when I mention you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and faith toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. I pray that your participation in the faith may become effective through knowing every good thing that is in us for the glory of Christ. For I have great joy and encouragement from your love, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. For this reason, although I have great boldness in Christ to command you to do what is right, I appeal instead on the basis of love. I, Paul, as an elderly man and now also as a prisoner of Christ Jesus, appeal to you for my child whom I fathered while in chains, Onesimus. Once he was useless to you, but now he is useful to both you and me. I am sending him, a part of myself, back to you. I wanted to keep him with me, so that in my imprisonment for the gospel he might serve me in your place. But I didn't want to do anything without your consent, so that your good deed might not be out of obligation, but out of your own free will. For perhaps this is why he was separated from you for a brief time, so that you might get him back permanently. No longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a dearly loved brother. That is especially to me, but even more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, accept him as you would me. And if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it, not to mention to you that you owe me your own self. Yes, brother, may I have joy from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Since I am confident of your obedience, I am writing to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. 
but meanwhile also prepare a guest room for me, for I hope that through your prayers I will be restored to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you, and so do Mark, Aristocrus, Damas, and Luke, my co-workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And there we end, day 346. Day 347, and today we read the whole book of Colossians, from chapter 1, verse 1, through to chapter 4, verse 18. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ and Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints because of the hope reserved for you in heaven. You have already heard about this hope in the message of truth, the gospel that has come to you. It is bearing fruit and growing all over the world, just as it has among you since the day you heard it and recognised God's grace in the truth. You learned this from Epaphras, our much-loved fellow slave. He is a faithful minister of the Messiah on your behalf, and he has told us about your love in the Spirit. For this reason also, since the day we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. We are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience, with joy giving thanks to the Father, who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, because by him everything was created, in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and by him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile everything to himself by making peace through the blood of his cross. Whether things on earth or things in heaven... And you were once alienated and hostile in mind because of your evil actions. But now he has reconciled you by his physical body through his death, to present you holy, faultless and blameless before him. If indeed you remain grounded and steadfast in the faith, and are not shifted away from the hope of the gospel that you heard. This gospel has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and I, Paul, have become a minister of it. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for you, And I am completing in my flesh what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for his body, that is, the church. I have become its minister, according to God's administration that was given to me for you, to make God's message fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. God wanted to make known to those among the Gentiles the glorious wealth of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. I labour for this, striving with his strength that works powerfully in me. 
for I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you, for those in Laodicea, and for all those who have not seen me in person. I want their hearts to be encouraged and joined together in love, so that they may have all the riches of assured understanding, and have the knowledge of God's mystery, Christ. In him all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden. I am saying this so that no one will deceive you with persuasive arguments, for I may be absent in body, but I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the strength of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition, based on the elemental forces of the world and not based on Christ. For in him the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily, and you have been filled by him, who is the head over every ruler and authority. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not done with hands, by putting off the body of flesh in the circumcision of the Messiah. Having been buried with him in baptism, you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And when you were dead in trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him and forgave us all our trespasses. He raised the certificate of debt with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us, and has taken it out of the way by nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them. Therefore don't let anyone judge you in regard to food and drink, or in the matter of a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of what was to come. The substance is the Messiah. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on aesthetic practices and the worship of angels, claiming access to a visionary realm and inflated without cause by his fleshly mind. He doesn't hold on to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and held together by its ligaments and tendons, develops with growth from God. If you died with Christ to the elemental forces of this world, why do you live as if you still belong to the world? Why do you still submit to regulations? Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. All these regulations refer to what is destroyed by being used up. They are human commands and doctrines. Although these have a reputation of wisdom by promoting aesthetic practices, humility and severe treatment of the body, they are not of any value against fleshly indulgence. So if you have been raised with Messiah, seek what is above, where the Messiah is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on what is above, not on what is on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with the Messiah in God. When the Messiah who is your life is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Therefore put to death whatever in you is worldly, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed which is idolatry. Because of these, God's wrath comes on the disobedience, and you once walked in these ways when you were living in them. But now you must also put away all the following, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and filthy language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his practices and have put on the new man, who is being renewed in knowledge according to the image of his creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcision and uncircumcision, by barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. 
Therefore, God's chosen ones, holy and loved, put on heartfelt compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience, accepting one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a complaint against another. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. Above all, put on love, the perfect bond of unity, and let the peace of the Messiah, to which you were also called in one body, control your hearts. Be thankful. Let the message about the Messiah dwell richly among you, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, and singing psalms, hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, be submissive to your husbands, as it is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and don't become bitter against them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this is pleasing in the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so they won't become discouraged. Slaves, obey your human masters in everything. Don't work only while being watched, in order to please men, but work wholeheartedly, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do it enthusiastically, as something done for the Lord and not for men, knowing that you will receive the reward of an inheritance from the Lord, You serve the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for whatever wrong he has done, and there is no favouritism. Masters, supply your slaves with what is right and fair, since you know that you too have a master in heaven. Devote yourselves to prayer, stay alert in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open a door to us for the message to speak the mystery of the Messiah, for which I am in prison so that I may reveal it as I am required to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the time. Your speech should always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer each person. Titius, a loved brother, a faithful servant, and a fellow slave in the Lord, will tell you all the news about me. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, so that you may know how we are, and so that he may encourage your hearts. He is with Onesimus, a faithful and loved brother. He is one of you. They will tell you about everything here. Aristocrus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, as does Mark, Barnabas's cousin, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And so it does Jesus, who is called Justice. These alone of the circumcision are my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a slave of Jesus Christ, greets you. He is always contending for you in his prayers, so that you can stand mature and fully assured in everything God wills. For I testify about him that he works hard for you, for those in Laodicea, and for those in Heriopolis. Look, the loved physician and Demas greet you. Give my greetings to the brothers in Laodicea, and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it read also in the church of the Laodiceans, and see that you have also read the letter from Laodicea. And tell Archippus, pay attention to the ministry you have received in the Lord, so that you can accomplish it. This greeting is in my own hand, Paul. Remember my imprisonment. Grace be with you. And there we end, day 347. Day 348, and we read from Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1, to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, 
to the saints and believers in Christ Jesus at Ephesus, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted through Jesus Christ for himself, according to his favour and will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he favoured us within the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure that he planned in him for the administration of the days of fulfilment, to bring everything together in the Messiah, both things in heaven and things on earth in him. In him we were also made his inheritance, predestined according to the purpose of the one who works out everything in agreement with the decision of his will, so that we who had already put our hope in the Messiah might bring praise to his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in him when you believed, were sealed with that promised Holy Spirit. He is the down payment of our inheritance for the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory. This is why, since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I never stop giving thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the glorious riches of his inheritance among the saints, And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power to us who believe, according to the working of his vast strength? He demonstrated this power in the Messiah by raising him from the dead and seating him at his right hand in the heavens, far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion, and every title given, not only in this age but also in the one to come. And he put everything under his feet, and appointed him as head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you previously walked according to this worldly age, according to the ruler of the atmospheric domain, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and by nature we were children under wrath, as the others were also, But God, who is abundant in mercy, because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with the Messiah, even though we were dead in trespasses. By grace you are saved. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens, in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might display his immeasurable riches of his grace in his kindness to us in Jesus Christ. For by grace you are saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is God's gift not from works so that no one can boast. For we are his creation, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time so that we could walk in them. So then, remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcised by those called the circumcised, done by hand in the flesh. At that time you were without the Messiah, excluded from the citizenship of Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise with no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, 
you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of the Messiah, for he is our peace, who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility. In his flesh he did away with the law of the commandments and regulations, so that he might create in himself one new man from the two, resulting in peace. He did this so that he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross and put the hostility to death by it. When Christ came, he proclaimed the good news of peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. The whole building is being fitted together in him and is growing into a holy sanctuary in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for God's dwelling in the Spirit. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, you have heard, haven't you, about the administration of God's grace that he gave to me for you, The mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have briefly written about above. By reading this, you are able to understand my insight about the mystery of the Messiah. This was not made known to people in other generations, as it is now revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. The Gentiles are co-heirs, members of the same body and partners of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I was made a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace that was given to me by the working of his power, This grace was given to me, the least of all the saints, to proclaim to the Gentiles the incalculable riches of the Messiah, and to shed light for all about the administration of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. This is so that God's multifaceted wisdom may now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavens. This is according to the purpose of the ages, which he made in the Messiah, Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness, access and confidence through faith in him. So then I ask you not to be discouraged over my afflictions on your behalf, for they are for your glory. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. I pray that he may grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man, and that the Messiah may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width, height and depth of God's love, and to know the Messiah's love that surpasses knowledge, so you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in you, to him be the glory in the church and in Jesus Christ to all generations for ever and ever. Amen. I, therefore, the prisoner in the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling you have received, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, accepting one another in love, diligently keeping the the unity of the Spirit with the peace that binds us. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. Now grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of the Messiah's gift. For it says, when he ascended on high, he took prisoners into captivity, he gave gifts to the people. But what does he ascended mean, except that he descended to the lower parts of the earth? 
The one who descended is the same as the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he personally gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, for the training of the saints in the work of ministry, to build up the body of Christ, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into a mature man with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Then we will no longer be little children, tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness in the techniques of deceit. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. From him the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for building up itself in love by the proper working of each individual part. Therefore I say this and testify in the Lord, you should no longer walk as the Gentiles walk, in the futility of their thoughts. They are darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God, because of the ignorance that is in them, and because of the hardness of their hearts. They became callous and gave themselves over to promiscuity for the practice of every kind of impurity with a desire for more and more. But that is not how you learned about the Messiah, assuming that you heard him and were taught by him because the truth is in Jesus. You took off your former way of life, the old man that is corrupted by deceitful desires. You are being renewed in the spirit of your minds. You put on the new man, the one created according to God's likeness in righteousness and purity of the truth. Since you put away lying, speak the truth, each one to his neighbour, because we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger and don't give the devil an opportunity. The thief must no longer steal. Instead, he must do honest work with his own hands so that he has something to share with anyone in need. No rotten talk should come from your mouth, but only what is good for the building up of someone in need, in order to give grace to those who hear. And don't grieve God's Holy Spirit, who sealed you for the day of redemption. All bitterness, anger and wrath, insult and slander must be removed from among you, along with all wickedness. And be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. And there we end, day 348. Day 349, and we finish off Ephesians, beginning at chapter 5, verse 1, before going into Philippians. So we begin at chapter 5, verse 1 of Ephesians. Therefore be imitators of God, as dearly loved children... And walk in love as the Messiah also loved us and gave himself for us, a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. But sexual immorality and any impurity or greed should not even be heard of among you, as is proper for saints. And coarse and foolish talking or crude joking are not suitable, but rather giving thanks. For know and recognise this. No sexually immoral or impure or greedy person who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of the Messiah and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty arguments, for because of these things God's wrath is coming on the disobedient. Therefore do not become their partners, for you were once in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light, for the fruit of the light results in all goodness, righteousness and truth, discerning what is pleasing to the Lord. Don't participate in the fruitless works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what is done by them in secret. 
Everything exposed by the light is made clear, for what makes everything clear is light. Therefore it is said, Get up, sleeper, and rise up from the dead, and the Messiah will shine on you. Pay careful attention then to how you walk, not as unwise people but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And don't get drunk with wine which leads to reckless actions, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music for the Lord in your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church. He is the saviour of the body. Now as the church submits to Christ, so wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as also Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, to make her holy, cleansing her in the washing of water by the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendour, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hates his own flesh, but provides and cares for it, just as Christ does for the church, since we are members of his body. For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This mystery is profound, but I am talking about Christ and the church. To sum up, each one of you is to love his wife as himself, and the wife is to respect her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, because this is right. Honour your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may have a long life in the land. And fathers, don't stir up anger in your children, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, obey your human masters with fear and trembling, in the sincerity of your heart as to Christ. Don't work only while being watched in order to please men, but as slaves of Christ, do God's will from your heart. Render service with a good attitude as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good each one does, slave or free, he will receive this back from the Lord. And masters, treat them the same way, without threatening them, because you know that both their and your master is in heaven and there is no favouritism with him. Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on the full armour of God so that you can stand against the tactics of the devil. For our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the world powers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. This is why you must take up the full armour of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day, and having prepared everything to take your stand. Stand, therefore, with truth like a belt around your waist, righteousness like armour on your chest, and your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. In every situation take the shield of faith, and with it you will be able to extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is God's word. With every prayer and request, pray at all times in the Spirit, and stay alert in this, with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. Pray also for me, that the message may be given to me when I open my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. For this, I am an ambassador in chains. 
pray that I may, might be bold enough in him to speak as I should. Tychicus, our dearly loved brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you everything so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. I am sending him to you for this very reason, to let you know how we are and to encourage your hearts. Peace to the brothers in love with faith, from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who have undying love for our Lord Jesus Christ. And there we end Ephesians and begin Philippians, reading from chapter 1 verse 1 to chapter 2 verse 30 today. Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you in every prayer, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to think this way about all of you, because I have you in my heart, and you are all partners with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defence and establishment of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I deeply miss all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment, so that you can determine what really matters, and can be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has actually resulted in the advancement of the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is for Christ. Most of the brothers in the Lord have gained confidence from my imprisonment and dare even more to speak the message fearlessly. Some, to be sure, preach Christ out of envy and strife, but others out of goodwill. These do so out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defence of the gospel. The others proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely seeking to cause me trouble in my imprisonment. But what does it matter? Just that in every way, whether out of false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, because I know that this will lead to my deliverance through your prayers and help from the Spirit of Jesus Christ. My eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but that now, as always, with all boldness, Christ will be highly honoured in my body, whether by life or by death. For me, living is Christ and dying is gain. Now if I live on in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me, and I don't know which one I should choose. I am pressured by both. I have the desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary for you. Since I am persuaded of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your advancement and joy in the faith, so that because of me your confidence may grow in Christ Jesus when I come to you again. Just one thing, live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or am absent, I will hear about you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, working side by side for the faith of the gospel, not being frightened in any way by your opponents. This is evidence of their destruction, but of your deliverance, and this is from God. For it has been given to you on Christ's behalf, 
not only to believe in him but also to suffer for him, having the same struggle that you saw I had and not now hear about me. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfil my joy by thinking the same way, having the same love, sharing the same feelings, focusing on one goal. Do nothing out of rivalry or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave, taking on the likeness of man. And when he had come as a man in his external form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Christ Jesus is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So then, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence but now even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is working in you, enabling you both to will and to act for his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling and arguing, so that you may be blameless and pure, children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation, among whom you shine like stars in the world. Hold firmly the message of life. Then I can boast in the day of Christ that I didn't run in vain or labour for nothing, but even if I am poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. In the same way, you also should rejoice and share your joy with me. Now I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I also may be encouraged when I hear news about you. For I have no one else like-minded who will genuinely care about your interests. All seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ, but you know his proven character, because he has served with me in the gospel ministry like a son with a father. Therefore I hope to send him as soon as I see how things go with me, and I am convinced in the Lord that I myself will also come quickly. But I considered it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker and fellow soldier, as well as your messenger and minister to my need, since he has been longing for all of you and was distressed because you heard that he was sick. Indeed, he was so sick that he nearly died. However, God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, so that I would not have one grief on top of another. For this reason, I am very eager to send him, so that you may rejoice when you see him again, and I may be less anxious. Therefore, welcome him in the Lord with all joy and whole men like him in honour, because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up what was lacking in your ministry to me. And there we end, day 349. Day 350, the last day of week 50. And we finish off Philippians, uh, go back into Acts for a couple of verses, and then into 1 Timothy. But we begin at chapter 3, verse 1 of Philippians, and finish Philippians first. 
Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write you again about this is no trouble for me and is protection for you. Watch out for the dogs. Watch out for evil workers. Watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision, the ones who serve by the Spirit of God, boast in Christ Jesus and do not put confidence in the flesh. Although I once had confidence in the flesh too. If anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, as to the law a Pharisee, as to zeal of persecuting the church, as to the righteousness that is in the law blameless. But everything that was again to me I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Because of him I have suffered the loss of all things, and consider them to be filth, so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Not that I have already reached the goal, or am already fully mature, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Therefore all who are mature should think this way, and if you think differently about anything, God will reveal this to you also. In any case, we should live up to whatever truth we have attained. Join in imitating me, brothers, and observe those who live according to the example you have in us. For I have often told you, and now say again with tears, that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their stomach, their glory is in their shame. They are focused on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for a saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body, by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. So then, in this way, my dearly loved brothers, my joy and crown, Stand firm in the Lord. I urge Judea and I urge Synthache to agree in the Lord. Yes, I also ask you, true partner, to help these women who have contended for the gospel at my side, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything but in everything. Through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses every thought will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honourable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence and if there is any praise, dwell on these things. Do what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have renewed your care for me. 
You were in fact concerned about me but lacked the opportunity to show it. I don't say this out of need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know both how to have a little and I know how to have a lot. In any and all circumstances I have learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. Still, you did well by sharing with me in my hardship. And you, Philippians, know that in the early days of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent gifts for my needs several times. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that is increasing to your account. But I have received everything in full, and I have an abundance. I am fully supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you provided, a fragrant offering, a welcome sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory for ever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. Those brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, but especially those from Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Then we read Acts chapter 28, verse 17 to 31. After three days he called together the leaders of the Jews, and when they had gathered he said to them, Brothers, although I have done nothing against our people or the customs of our forefathers, I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans who, after examining me, wanted to release me since I had not committed a capital offence. Because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar. It was not as though I had any accusation against my nation. So for this reason I have asked to see you and speak to you. In fact, it is for the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And they said to him, We haven't received any letters about you from Judea. None of the brothers has come and reported or spoken anything evil about you. But we consider it suitable to hear from you what you think. For concerning this sect we are aware that it is spoken against everywhere. After arranging a day with him, many came to him at his lodging. From dawn to dusk he expounded and witnessed about the kingdom of God. He persuaded them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets. Some were persuaded by what he said, but others did not believe. Disagreeing among themselves, they began to leave after Paul made one statement. The Holy Spirit correctly spoke through the prophet Isaiah to your forefathers when he said, Go to this people and say, You will listen and listen, yet never understand. And you will look and look, but not perceive. For this people's heart has grown callous. Their ears are hard of hearing, and they have shut their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears, understand with their heart and be converted, and I would heal them. Therefore let it be known to you that this saving work of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. After he had said these things, the Jews departed while engaging in a prolonged debate among themselves. Then he stayed two whole years in his own rented house, and he welcomed all who visited him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching the things concerning the Lord Jesus Christ, with full boldness and without hindrance. And then we begin the letter to Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1 through to verse 20. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, according to the command of God our Saviour and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy and peace, 
from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you when I went to Macedonia, remain in Ephesus so that you may command certain people not to teach other doctrine or to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies. These promote empty speculations rather than God's plan which operates by faith. Now the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart, a good conscience and a sincere faith. Some have deviated from these and turned aside to fruitless discussion. They want to be teachers of the law although they don't understand what they are saying or what they are insisting on. Now we know that the law is good, provided one uses it legitimately. We know that the law is not meant for a righteous person, but for the lawless and rebellious, for the ungodly and sinful, for the unholy and irreverent, for those who kill their fathers and mothers, for murderers, for the sexually immoral and homosexuals, for kidnappers, liars, perjurers, and for whatever else is contrary to the sound teaching based on the glorious gospel of the blessed God that was entrusted to me. I give thanks to Christ Jesus our Lord, who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, appointing me to the ministry, one who was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor and an arrogant man. Since it was out of ignorance that I had acted in unbelief, I received mercy and the grace of our Lord overflowed, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them. But I received mercy because of this, so that in me, the worst of them, Christ Jesus might demonstrate the utmost patience as an example to those who would believe in him for eternal life. Now to the King Eternal, Immortal, Invisible, the only God, be honour and glory for ever and ever. Amen. Timothy, my child, I am giving you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies previously made about you, so that by them you may strongly engage in battle, having faith and a good conscience. Some have rejected these and have suffered the shipwreck of their faith. Hymenaeus and Alexander are among them, and I have delivered them to Satan, so that they may be taught not to blaspheme. And there we end, day 350 and week 50.